Did you hear, folks? When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Can you imagine the millions, even billions of souls that have existed since Jesus was on the cross? Yet out of all those souls, you were on his mind. Only God can accomplish that. And amazingly more, he knew me. And yet still, he loved me. Keep that in mind as we go through today's message. Before I start, I would like for you to extend your hand out to the pulpit and pray that the message coming out here would be anointed of God and that you will receive it as such. Dear Father, I am humbled that you have trusted me with this message. I pray that you will anoint me, Father, and you will anoint the ears that are going to receive it. That you remove me and my characteristics and my flaws and whatever that's deterrent to your message. Remove them, Father, and let your message come clear, crystal clear, in Jesus' name. Amen. I've prepared an outline, if, uh, if you have it. it. It's purposely uh, made it a little different. I mean, I mean it for you to reflect on later, and maybe if you want to, you can take some notes, because my sermon is short, and, and this has been weighing in my heart for some time. So what I want more than anything is your undivided attention. And as such, if you have a cell phone that still hasn't been silenced, please do so at this moment. This morning, I'm going to be looking at a text from the book of Amos. But first, let me introduce Amos to you. The book of Amos is a small book written by what is called the minor prophet. Why is he called a minor prophet? Well, it isn't because he was not as important as the other major prophet. It is because he didn't produce as many writings, the amount of writings, as some of the prophets that are considered major, like Isaiah and Daniel and Jeremiah. This book of only nine chapters is small in comparison. And I challenge you, as you turn to it right now, you're going to have trouble finding it because it's so tiny. And it is the third book after the book of Daniel. And it is between Joel and Obadiah. In the eyes of man, Amos was an insignificant man. He was a common man. By the world's standard, he might have been judged as an ignorant peasant. He describes himself as a keeper of sheep and a tender of sycamore fruit. And that is figs. But he is far from ignorant. His book is well written and structured, and that structure reveals a person of literary knowledge and a person of uh, knowledge of composition. But he is a working man, much like you and I here today. He lived in a little village of Tekoa, which is just outside of Bethlehem, in the nation of Judah very near the border with the nation of Israel. As you may know, after the death of King Solomon, ten tribes of Israel rebelled against Solomon's true heir, 
and formed their own nation, elected their own king, and they called their nation Israel. And their capital eventually settled in the city of Samaria. The two remaining tribes of uh, Judah and Benjamin formed the nation of Judah with their capital being in Jerusalem. Now both nations by this time had prospered and there was very few conflicts between them. Things were good in both kingdoms. They were prospering. They felt secure in their prosperity. They viewed their success and, and uh, well-being as evidence that they were being blessed of God, that they were a blessed people. But as with all things, with prosperity comes spiritual and then moral decay. The same is true of what we have here in America. We have come to think of ourselves as the most powerful nation in the world, and that may be so. We have grown lax spiritually, and moral decline is a sign of that, is a sure sign. You see, the church of Jesus Christ is his bride. And what does he say? He is coming back for a bride that is spotless and without wrinkle. Yet I'm afraid that the state of the church today is becoming smudged and tainted by the world. Furthermore, we in the evangelical community have developed this notion that America is God's chosen nation. Reality check. We're not. We are blessed, yes. We are used by God to bless other nations, yes. But Israel is the chosen nation of God. It is in the midst of this moral decay when Amos receives these visions from God. There is much to study in this book. It deserves study of it on, on a Wednesday night, maybe sometime. God has so much to save to us in these, this book of only nine chapters. But I want us to zero in on just one verse here today from chapter 3. Turn there, if you would, if you can find the book of Amos. Like I said, is the third book after Daniel. Amos chapter 3. And verse 12. Thus saith the Lord, as a shepherd takes from the mouth of a lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out who dwell in Samaria, in the corner of the bed and on the edge of the couch. That's the King James Version. But for a better understanding of what is being said, let's read it in the New Living Translation. This is what the Lord says. A shepherd who tries to rescue a sheep from the lion's mouth will recover only two legs or a piece of an ear. So it will be for the Israelites in Samaria lying on luxurious beds and for the people of Damascus reclining on couches. Here we get a picture of a shepherd that's going in up to the lion and snatching the sheep that he is devouring and pulling out from his mouth only fragments of what's left of his sheep. 
two legs, or a piece of an ear. The, the application for Israel here is that the judgment is coming. And when it comes, it will be like a lion devouring the entirety of the sheep. And what will be left will be of little worth, like two legs and a piece of an ear that shall be snatched out of the lion's mouth. Now history tells us that when the Babylonians came and conquered, they carried away the upper crust of the people, the educated, the skilled craftsmen, and those in the royal court, and they shipped them to Chaldea. They left behind only a few, the poor, the unskilled, the uneducated, the cripple, and the lame. But I want us to consider another application here today. And this is what God has put in my heart to bring to you here today. Let us consider the lion. The lion is a fearsome creature. He is called the king of the jungle because he has no natural enemies. No predators hunt the lion to eat them. They, on the other hand, love mutton on their plate. That's sheep. When lions are on the hunt, they look for the weak and those that have strayed from the herd. They stalk their prey slowly and methodically. Lions are not fast runners, so they rely on stalking for their prey slowly and patiently. They seldom charge until their prey is facing away from them and not paying attention. <clears throat> and cannot see them charging. They creep up on their target, slowly in their tall grass, and when the moment is right, they pounce. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 and 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who, may, who he may devour. That is the goal of our enemy. To kill us. To destroy us. To kill and destroy your family. To kill and destroy your peace. And he's very good at it. So Peter tells us to be sober. Don't let your guard down. Don't let yourself be intoxicated with the world's riches and pleasures, and always be vigilant, be watchful, as our enemy is cunning. Amen. He knows every trick, and he knows you. He has had many years to watch you and to observe you, and he knows what buttons to push. Like the lion, he is patient and methodical. And he knows your weak spots. And he knows what will entice you. I said that the lion had no natural enemies. Man is the exception. But a man cannot go up and take on a lion with his bare hands. He needs weapons. Likewise, we cannot take on our spiritual enemy without weapons. But God has provided us with that weapon, and it is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I call it the lion slayer. In James 4, 7, he says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, 
and he will flee. You resist the devil with the word of God. One more thing. The devil is not your friend. He wants to destroy you. Listen to what James says in that same chapter. Verse 1 through 4. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The world and its system is not your friend. Jesus told us that the path of the world leads to destruction. Jesus, when he walked this earth and taught, he used a lot of sheep and shepherds in his lessons. Jesus tells us in John 10 and 11, I am the good shepherd, and the shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He left heaven and is all his glory to come to earth to rescue his sheep. He gave his life for his sheep. He loves his sheep. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Psalms 97. And when he was on the cross, you were on his mind. He also knew that he, wouldn't, he would be returning to heaven. So three times he asked Peter, Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, he answered. Then feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep, Peter. Over 50 years ago, Jesus asked Don Westbrook, Do you love me, Don? Feed my sheep. He's posed the same question to Larry, to Antoinette, to Michael, to myself, and all the other ministers here at Bethel. Do you love me? Take care of my sheep. Take care of them. I paid a heavy price for them, so care for them, teach them, pray for them. And let me assure you, I'm, I'm confident that we all do that. Now, parents are also shepherds. God has given sheep to us parents to take care of, to feed, to protect, to give our lives for them if necessary. The Bible has many instructions for parents. First and foremost is the instructions to bring them up in the knowledge of the God's word. Deuteronomy 6 and 6 gives us these commands. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Notice that the first thing God tells us us to be grounded in the word then we are to teach them non-stop to our children the word of God shall never be far from our lips you 
cannot leave this to the school system. They are not the shepherd. You are the shepherd. The school system, in case you haven't noticed, does not adhere to our biblical standards. They often teach them things that are contrary to what the Bible teaches. This, this whole spectrum of things ranges from teaching them evolution as fact to the normality that is normal for same-sex marriage to the freedom that you have freedom to choose abortion as an option. And the list goes on. You are the shepherd of these children. God will hold you accountable for them. Like the shepherd that is ever vigilant for lions and wolves coming to devour the sheep. You should also be vigilant. We know that uh, the battles for the for the Satan brings, he attacks the mind. He wants to control the mind because if he controls the mind, he controls you. So be vigilant to what is coming into the mind of your children. As Proverbs 4.23 instructs us, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. <clears throat> the heart when the Bible speaks of the heart, it means the mind. So it tells us to guard it with all diligence. It goes on with verses that follow and that you should watch what's coming in through the eyes. That's in verse 25. And where you go, that's verse 26. Remember, you are the shepherd. Monitor what they are watching. What movies are they watching? Sit down and watch it with them. What games are they playing? Pick up the Game Boys or the Xbox controller and play with them. Is anything coming into their minds contrary to God's principles? Monitor where they go and who they hang out with. Now, most kids have mobile phones or tablets. Do you know who's on their friends list or who they're texting? Remember, God will hold you accountable and their blood will be on your hands. Now, as kids get older, yes, there's going to want some autonomy, and that's fine. If you've done your job, they should be all right. But even so, you as a parent do have the right for an occasional spot check. You are their shepherd. Remember, the lion is patient. He's methodical. He's always looking for a straggler or a weak one, and he never gives up. And most of all, insist, let me say, insist that they stay connected to the church. Be ready to go into the lion's den to rescue your precious sheep from his jaws. But most important thing you can do for your children is pray for them. Bless them as they leave the house and pray, pray, pray. You are also the shepherd in all the con context of your life. You may be as a boss or as a group leader, as a coach, as a teacher. And the list goes on. In those situations, be a model of Christ. Be a model of Christ for them to follow. Set the example and again, pray, pray, pray. I was sitting with my granddaughter at prayer the couple of Fridays ago. And I noticed that she was on her phone doing what appeared to be playing a game. So I told her, we're here for prayer, baby, and not for playing games. Her reply was, oh, I already prayed. It was 7.15.
So I sat down with her and I tried to do a little teaching. I said, baby, you know, your dad's in a very stressful situation. We need to pray for him diligently. And I led her in prayer for that. I said, you got to pray for your mom and your cousins. And, and I went through the whole extended family. Then you need to pray for your church and your pastor and your teachers at, at church. You need to pray for your school and your teachers and, and your schoolmates and your best friends. So I went on. So I said, okay, Grandpa. And she put her phone down and started praying. Fifteen minutes later, I looked back and... And she looked at, oh, I finished praying already. When I mentioned that to her dad, she said, oh, Dad, you're getting soft in your old age. She's playing you. She knows that at church she unplugs. In my defense... I told him grandparents are to enjoy and spoil their children. It's the parents who are the ones to direct and discipline them. That's, that may be a cute saying, but it's not accurate. You as grandparents should follow up on what your parents, the parents, are teaching them. They are our sheep. Have you ever wondered why God compares us to sheep? I found this article online. I will gladly give you the URL because it's very interesting. Just ask me for it. It is titled, Nine Shocking uh, Reasons Why God Compares Us to Sheep in the Bible. For the sake of time, I'll only give you a couple of them. Sheep have no sense of direction. They will follow whoever is leading them, even if it leads them off a cliff. Remember the old question? You might have got it yourself, and I'm sure you've said it to your children. Well, if your friend jumps off a cliff, will you jump off too? Well, sheep actually would. I'm quoting here. It's a story quoted from this article. This is a real story I found online in eastern Turkey. About 1,500 unattended sheep fell off a cliff while the shepherds were eating breakfast away from the flock. The first 400 fell to their death, but the remaining 1,100 were saved because the first 400 broke the fall, and the first 400 were, were a big fluffy cushion for the other sheep. <laughs> and she says, it sounds like a good commercial for toilet paper, huh? <clears throat> Apparently, this is what happened, she goes on. The sheep in the back couldn't see past the sheep in the front, so they are unaware of what was ahead. The sheep in the front couldn't stop because the sheep in the back were pushing them forward. Kind of remind you of your teen years, the proverbial blind leading the blind. That's so true. Now, how many times do, do you follow someone who is leading us in the wrong direction or act foolishly? Uh, you guys are too spiritual for me. I, I've done that. We see our friends fall off a cliff and we go right along with them into the ravine. Or, or, or we imitate them because we think that's cool. When they're really just doing something stupid. And I don't want my, fa I don't want my family to be laughing at this. But I remember when a, f a few weird hairstyles from my day. I had this big old fro. I mean, I look at the pictures now and I cringe. I say, oh, did I really do that? Sheep have no sense of direction. Sheep are, are defenseless. We're just meat on the hoof for the roaring lion without Christ. We need his protection. We need to stick together as Christians. We need a shepherd. And Jesus knew that. In Matthew 9, 16, he says... 
But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Another thing, sheep are not meant for to carry burdens. You've never seen sheep carrying a backpack or a pack on their backs. Other animals are good for, for pack mules, but not sheep. We never were meant to carry our burdens. In fact, we are to give them our heavy load to Christ so he can carry them. Psalms 55.22 says, Cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. Yes. Now, another thing is care, sheep cannot care for themselves when they're wounded. When the sheep get wounded or, or, or a bite, they can't care for themselves. Other animals will lick their wounds, and, and, uh, but not sheep. They need a shepherd to tend to their injuries. Oh, how God wants to tend to us to look after our wounds and treat them and bind them up. But often we're so brokenhearted and need his healing, but we won't let him touch us. Psalm 147.3 tells us, He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. You may do everything right that I've just said. Yet you will find yourself in a situation that Amos describes here. We go to snatch our precious sheep from the lion's mouth. And all we have left is two legs and a piece of an ear. That beautiful sheep that we raised and nurtured. Now we have nothing left. The little sheep we carried as a baby. That we saw so much potential. We gave it all that we could to ensure a bright future. We attended the games. The, the lectures, the recitals, we helped with homework. We prayed. Now tragedy has fallen. The doctors have turned out the lights and said, there's nothing else we can do. And you're left holding two legs and a piece of an ear. Or perhaps your precious leg, has, a lamb, has fallen with the wrong crowd. Listen to the wrong people that introduce them to drugs. They become addicted to the point that one day you get a call from the hospital that they have overdosed. And you have two legs and a piece of an ear. Maybe your lamb is out with friends. You get a call in the middle of the night from the ICU. He is there and he may not make it. You need to come. You're left with two legs and a piece of an ear. There's, there's other scenarios where the devil just leaves you with two legs and a piece of an ear. Your spouse, your spouse of many years informs you that they want a divorce. The same person that stood at the altar and vowing until death do us part now wants to part. You're devastated. You're left with two legs and a piece of an ear. Your child, your spouse, informs you that they're homosexual. Two legs and a piece of an ear. The doctor has informed you you have stage four cancer and only have a couple of months to live. 
you're left with two legs and a piece of an ear. I could go on and on with this list, but I don't want to leave you there. Just as he restored the nation of Israel, he can restore your situation. I can give you a testimony of how my wife was given nine months to live, and that was 12 years ago. Pastor and Sister Carol can give you testimonies about their own bodies and about their own son. We serve a powerful God. One of his many names is El Shaddai, the Almighty One. Nothing is impossible for him. I'm closing now, so I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. While Jesus walked this earth, he did many miracles. From healing the blind, the lepers, the cripples, and all forms of diseases. But in every single one of them, he first was concerned with their salvation. First, our eternal soul needs to be restored. Then he will handle our temporal needs. Our bodies, you see, are only here for a little while. We're only here in our bodies for a little while. But our souls are forever. Our bodies will end someday, but our souls were created for eternity. The choices we make while in this body determine where we will spend eternity. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9.27, and it is appointed for men to die once, but after that, the judgment. And the book of Revelation tells us that Christ will open the book of life, and if your name is not on it, you will be cast into the lake of fire. That is not easy to hear. You won't hear it preached very often. It's too terrible to think about, but it's true. Read it for yourself in Revelation 20. Yes, it's terrible to even think about it. But Christ has made it so easy for us to avoid that. He knows you. He knows all you've been through. He knows what you've done. And yet, he loves you. He knows what you've done. And yet, again, he still loves you as he's laying on the cross. All you have to do is accept. All you have to do is make a decision to serve him. If you do that, he will with great joy write your name on the book of life. In a couple of minutes... I'm going to ask that those who need restoration of their soul to raise up their hands so that we may pray for them. So let the Holy Spirit work in you to give you the boldness to raise your hands. Consider the alternative. This may be the easiest decision that you'll ever make, but it will be the best decision you will ever make. Saints, pray along with me. Lord, you know every heart. They all look good to me, Lord, from where I'm standing. 
But God, only you can see into their hearts. Only you know their condition. Only you know where their soul rests. Do your work, Holy Spirit. Prick their hearts. Give them the courage to accept. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may say to me, Brother Dan, I received Christ already, but I find myself estranged from God. The joy I felt when I first received him is just not there anymore. I don't enjoy reading scripture like I once did. I find it such a chore to pray. When you find yourself far from God, guess who moved? Or you may find yourself in the situation where you're left with two legs and a piece of an ear. There's no way out. But let me tell you, Jesus is a way maker. He's a miracle worker. He's a promise keeper. And he is the light in the darkness. Listen to this song that the praise team is about to play. Let the lyrics go into your heart. Amen. <laughs> 